0: have a seat, Romans chapter 8, I'm going to read again from verse 14, 14 to 23, what shall we say then, whoops, that's chapter 9, isn't it, sorry about that, you Fourteen. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs; heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. I wanted to think a little bit more specifically about the suffering of of spirit-led children and why he talks about that here in Romans chapter eight. It's it's kind of a it's important for us to get this so that we understand the end of Romans chapter eight, which is really speaking so much about living the Christian life. How you how you live as a Christian. Faith, faith that saves a person, when, when a person invests their faith and hope in Christ. New birth is, is a word we, we speak about a lot. So when you've been born again, your faith directs your feet, it directs your path into a path of suffering. And so we're going to talk about how that happened, why that happened. He referred in, in what we were just reading the sufferings of this present time, he mentioned in verse 18. What are the sufferings of this present time? And why do we need to suffer them? 2 Corinthians 4:17, Paul refers to the same uh, body of sufferings, the same reality that was being explained and taught to the Christians in Corinth, Rome and Corinth, these great early, earliest churches. Listen to the passage here, 2 Corinthians 4.17. He says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I'll go back to verse 18 in Romans 8. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And so, as he taught to the Christians in Rome, he teaches and speaks of to the Christians in Corinth... He refers to the light affliction is but for a moment and its result to the Corinthian air was a far more exceeding glory. So we pick up the idea, we, we learn this idea that Christian suffering is temporary. Christian suffering, for some reason Paul is able to call a light affliction, it's something that he um, he doesn't consider to be heavy. What is heavy? What is heavy? It is he- heavy. Heavy seems hard to bear. Heavy is a relative word, isn't it? This is heavy compared to a piece of paper, or compared to this building. When, when, when he speaks about a life and momentary affliction what is it like compared to and this is how the Christian this is the person who's been born again has eyes, hope, mind going beyond this world and this is why martyrs suffer martyrdom singing hymns or not screaming in, in terror Martyrs filled with the Spirit of God and even their martyrdom is experienced as a light momentary affliction because there is a beyond this moment for the believer. And Paul is teaching the Christians about this, this present time there are such a thing as, as a light affliction, a, a suffering, but compared to, sometimes we even read the phrase in the Bible, the weight of glory. The weight of glory is a, is a glorious glory, an awesome glory. There is something in the future for the Christian that, in comparison, isn't something heavy. So the heirs of suffering, the heirs of suffering is how you and I could refer to ourselves as as, uh, Christians. Look at uh, verse 14. 8.14 in Romans said, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're sons. Okay? Led by the Spirit of God means the Spirit has indwelt you. The indwelt person by the Spirit is walking according to the Spirit. And and as we'll see in a few minutes, this is a, 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 a sort of a Christian test, if you will. But sons were made sons at their belief. We read this in verse 14. As many as are led by the Spirit. These are sons. Look at what else it says in 15. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Okay? The relationship between the believer and his God is not a relationship of fear. What kind of relationship does he describe in the two verses? Father, son. Sons don't fear their fathers in a in a, in, in a perverse way. Sometimes sons fear their fathers because they know their father might discipline them in some way. But they're they're not normally terrified by their by their fathers. They love their fathers, and so. They are sons, is what it says, when they're led by the Spirit, in verse 14. And he says, you didn't receive a spirit of uh, bondage, again, to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So they are heirs, they are adopted in the Spirit, heirs in the Spirit, adopted in the Spirit. Keep looking with me. The Spirit himself bears witness for their Spirit that we are children. And if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God. Heirs are those who are named in the will who will receive of the inheritance. So in Christ God looks at his children. He literally is is relating to he sees his children. and The believer sees and understands God as their father. The Christian who is in Christ is walking with his father. They're free from condemnation. They are led by the Spirit. They are are a unique group of people in the world. They are characterized by their relationship to God and they are characterized by who they are led by and how they walk. And if they are led by the Spirit, judging from the other brief passages we have read, they think like, they speak like, they walk like who? Their Father. There is a relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit and the heirs have been made like them. It is the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of Christ dwelling in the Christian. And so... If they are not led by the Spirit, what did this passage say? It, It also mentioned what you would see, or what it would be like if they were not led by the Spirit. There are some different phrases that refer to that one. If the Spirit isn't in them, if they're not led by the Spirit, it says they're fleshly, it says they're carnal... It says their minds are on the things of the world. It also says they are dead. Look at Romans 8, 5 to 8. Romans 8, 5 to 8 makes a reference to them, which we read weeks ago now. Verse 5 Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now remember, that's the body. That's, that's the place where sin lives. It lives in the body. It's where sinful appetite, sinful life, sinful desire comes from. It comes from the flesh. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. To be carnally minded is death. They're, they're fleshly. They're dead. So, when we're speaking about this new creature, the born-again sons and and heirs. They have the spirit in them. And because of that they're led by the Spirit. They're walking with the Spirit. And if the Spirit is in them, if if they're living according to the Spirit, it was given to them at salvation, it says the Spirit quickens them. That's a, a word that means revive them, or another Bible word is regenerated them. The Spirit gave them new life. It made them new creatures. And so they live according to that new nature. How do you know the very basic nature of your new nature? Do you know your Father? Do you know God the Father? Do you know Christ? Do you understand the basic nature of your new nature is God Himself? It is Christ Himself? This is how the Spirit leads. You've been given a new nature. And so, as you walk and live being a creature of this new nature, you encounter people who like God and you encounter people who don't like God. You encounter people who love God's Word, who love God's ways, who love God's holiness, who love God's promises, and you have fellowship and you have love with them and you have good, I don't know, good, good, good love, good fellowship with these people. What happens when you run into people who... Don't think like that. They are not of that nature. You automatically have conflict with those people. Look at John three six real briefly. Let me reinforce this idea. John three six. You'll remember it it says that which is born of spirit. What's the rest of the sentence say? Which is that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is Spirit. The new nature is spiritual. The new man is spiritual. And so, as the new man experiences his new heart, you've been given a new heart in the new creation, in the in, in the regeneration. This person now, what what does he now think when he's in the presence of God? What does he say? He says, "Abba, Father." It says that in the book of Galatians, and it says that here in Romans, chapter eight. He doesn't. He hasn't been given a spirit of fear. He's been given a spirit of adoption. He sees God. He understands God is his father, father who leads him, father who provides for him, father who protects him. He doesn't have a, a, a relationship of fear. To this father. And so, this person, this new creation, is devoted to his new father. She loves her new father. She loves the protection given. She loves the teaching given. She loves everything about this new father, this new life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all things have become new. You literally are new when you are born of the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. There's a new creature. So Romans 8. And and some of these things that that look like or sound like tests that have been put before us. and, And in a sense they are. Romans 8 helps a little bit with fleshing out the relationship between your profession of faith And your practice of faith. Or the root of faith and the fruit of faith. Some of these things are spoken of here in Romans chapter 8. So that's what it means when we first started reading Romans chapter 8. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And then, can you remember what the next part of the phrase says? Who do not live according to the flesh. Isn't that what it says? You do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Why does it, why does it give that qualification there? It's because the, the uncondemned in Christ aren't walking in the flesh. It, it is a characteristic of the new creature, it's part of the nature of the new nature. Verse 9 is a similar one. Look at verse 9. You are not in the flesh. But in his spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. It's a very similar kind of a statement. He keeps putting these if sorts of statements here in Romans chapter 8. He says, by the spirit put to death the deeds of the flesh you will live. He says the word for in in English in Romans here. We could also read because we're gonna to go to verse five. My Bible says for. It could say because for those who live according to the flesh, or it could say, because those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. This is why the Spirit, the person who is indwelt with the Spirit, will put those things to death. The Spirit opposes the flesh. And then it goes on to say, look at verse 14, those who led by the Spirit are, what does it say? Those who are led by the Spirit are sons. So there, it's almost like we're, we're seeing two sides of a coin over and over again here in Romans chapter 8. You're seeing two sides. The confession of being in Christ is followed in verse 1. The one side of the coin is they are in Christ. The other side of the coin is they don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That that aspect of faith. It's in Christ, but it's walking according to the Spirit. You are in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. By the Spirit put to death the deeds of the flesh. For as many as are led by the Spirit, these are sons. Or in other words, when you are by the Spirit putting to death the deeds of the flesh, this is an indication of your sonship. This is what sons do. Sons oppose the flesh by the Spirit who is dwelling in them. We see these dual characteristics like this. There is no condemnation for you. There is no condemnation. Because the law of the Spirit has set the believer free from the threat of condemnation and death. Death has no grip. It has no sway. It has no valid threat against a Christian and so your union with Christ that's another important concept we've hit a few times your union with Christ is how you are bound to him you're bound to him and his gift of righteousness by virtue of your dying with him by faith you're bound to him you share in his righteousness you say you share in his life however here is the here is the, the this aspect of suffering with him here's this this second kind of another coin in this, in this chapter here speaks about your new nature in walking with your Lord. Your new nature who is walking with your new Father is going to feel hardship, unhappiness, and suffering as you walk with your Lord because it is part and parcel of the new nature. Your new nature will walk with the Lord God. Your new nature will be led by the Spirit and therefore you will indeed suffer hardship. Heirs, it said, what did it say about heirs here in in chapter 8? It says heirs have a special thing they're looking forward to. They're looking forward to this future glory in verse 18. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Look at Hebrews 11.13. The scriptures speak of the same thing for a generation of Christians who lived quite a few centuries ago. So the, the great hall of fame in the faith chapter here Hebrews 11.13 So the, the Christian who's walking with, led by, enduring different kinds of suffering. Verse 13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them far off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called a mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. You guys know what that verse means there? That's a little bit of an interesting sentence there. It means if they wanted to quit and go back to what they used to be, they could have. But they didn't. They kept their eyes fixed on where they were going because they were people who had been born again. They had been given a new nature. Verse 16, Now they desire a better, a heavenly country. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. So God, God's spirit in the Christian, He bears witness with the Christian that the Christian is a Christian. The Christian has a, a father. And so... What, when, when it refers to the fact that He bears witness, and by His Spirit you cry out, Abba, Father, there is this relationship between the Christian and Your God, that is Father, daughter, Father, son, and it is the Spirit that does this in you and for you. And then, verse 16, that's where that's where it says this about this relationship between us and the fact that we are children of God. It says, heirs, finally, in uh, the middle of 17. If children, heirs, heirs of God, join heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him. Led by the Spirit, putting to death the deeds the body, setting minds on things of the Spirit, subject to the law of God, the mouth and the life are God's because they are sons and therefore they will indeed suffer. They will suffer with Christ. on the way the New Testament speaks about this, I think in a way that you can understand it uh, most easily, is the scripture calls you as a Christian a farmer, soldier, a builder, a vine and sons. These are some of the terms that that believers are referred to as all these different words. And so Matthew 25:30 will bring you into one of these identifications. Matthew 25:30 is a worker in a field. So he's a farmer. In Matthew 25:30, And three different men were given a task to, to take care of while the master was gone. I'm just going to read the response of the Lord to this one particular worker. It says, Cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Was this a person who was in... Union with Christ. No, this is a picture of somebody who was completely separated from. This is somebody who was completely independent of. This was somebody whose interest was not in the Master's work. He could not be led by the Master. What did he? What did he do with what had been left with him? Something had been left with him, and when the Master comes and asks for well, it, what did he? What did he say he had done with it? He had buried it under a rock. Why why wouldn't he take and invest it at least a little bit? Why wouldn't he give some attention so that he had some profit to hand back to his master? Why wouldn't he do that? He just didn't care. He had no interest in the master's profit. He had no interest in in tending to anything that interested the master. There is no Abba-Father relationship between the worker and and the master in that scene. Those who are not in union with Christ don't share in his labors and they don't share in his rewards. The the Lord isn't asking you for a certain percentage return. Isn't it a beautiful truth in this story that when the Lord comes back, two men come to the Lord and say, here, this is what I've been able to gain from it. And He rewards them and He praises them. Not because you doubled it or quadrupled it or made so many thousand percent increase. He just praises them for their faithfulness. And then He gives them more. One of those servants wouldn't do anything. He had no care. He had no interest. Matthew 25, 23 speaks to one of these other servants. Matthew 25, 23. We see one of these persons who had an interest in carrying out what was left into his hands. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Being a son, being an heir, means you are a servant. It means you share in the Lord's work. You have an interest in the Lord's profit. None of these things buy righteousness. None of these things earn righteousness. None of these things pay God back for salvation. They are actually fruits of your love for the Lord, they are fruits of your belief in the rightness of the Lord's work and of the Lord's way. They don't even earn portions of your salvation. They don't help to save you. These things simply flow from your belief in and your love in the Lord. And why do you do this? Because you've been made sons, you've been made daughters in the new birth. You believe Him, you love Him, you share His nature. suffering is expected but it is giving much encouragement in God's word 1 Corinthians 15 1 Corinthians 15:58 it says therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing your labor is not in vain in the lord see the word reward there be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The Lord has reward in store for His workers, for His faithful ones. we just were reminded of that even in the passage in Matthew 25. Acts 26 is an interesting snapshot into this where Paul... Um, is called into service. Acts 26.17 Let's know what the servant is, is listening to as he is called into service. It says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Why would you need to be delivered from the people I'm sending you to? Why would you need to be delivered from the people I am sending you to? Because they're not going to like you. They are going to be hostile to you. I'll read it again. Acts 26.17 I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes. Why are you sent anywhere? Why is the Son sent in the work? To open their eyes, he says. In order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. An inheritance is a reward, an inheritance is riches. Now, why is he sending you to people that he needs to be delivered, that you need to be delivered from? Why is he sending you to someone who is going to want to kill you? open eyes what else open eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sin you see a little bit of marching orders in the servant's calling the servant's mouth the servant's heart is that people's eyes would be opened you would, you would persuade them to turn from darkness to light. Now, how many of your friends who live in darkness, how many of your friends who live in darkness think it's darkness? None of them do. None of your friends who are not true Christians, none of them think, "Wow, I'm blind and deaf and living in the dark. None of them think that. So when the Lord sends a Christian to the unbelieving person, you're going to be speaking to a person who thinks you're crazy. They think you're a fool. They think you're mean. Because you're trying to tell them that that what they're comfortable with isn't true. What? You're saying I'm going to hell? You're saying, I live in the dark? You're saying, you're forgiven and I'm not? This is some of the words they'll share back to you. This is why there is suffering involved in the one who is in union with Christ. This is why there's suffering involved in the one who's been given a new nature. He knows he's been called to go and speak to these ones who are in the dark, to speak to these ones who are in the power of Satan. To speak to these ones that their eyes might be open, that their ears might hear, and that they too might be able to share in the inheritance that is in Christ. Suffering is fellowship and it is future glory. First Peter chapter 4, 12. 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial Because those people are saying terrible things about you and to you in Christ's name. They are blaspheming as they criticize you. They are blaspheming as they say your message is a lie. As they say your message is is bigoted. As they say your message is just uh, narrow. They are blaspheming Him when they say that. But on your part, He, the Lord Jesus, is glorified. Suffering is Christian. Suffering is fellowship with the Lord Jesus when it is this kind of suffering, when it is true Christian suffering. He goes on to say, it's interesting, verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer, so that's real murder, that's ungodly anger, etc. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a busybody, and other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. When you suffer as a child of God, when you suffer as a servant of the Lord, with the Lord's word on your mouth, with the Lord's heart on your heart, when you suffer in that way, be not ashamed. And let you, may you, may I glorify the Lord God in this matter suffering's hard. Hebrews 11 again, suffering is hard. Christian suffering is hard. Hebrews 11:37. They were stoned. Has anybody been stoned in our lifetime in North America? I don't think so. They they do stone people in the Middle East still sometimes. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were tempted, slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute or terribly poor, afflicted, tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy. These these. These believers who lived in this way, these believers who endured this kind of hardship in their service to the Lord, the world didn't deserve them. These are the saints of the saints. These are the faithful of the faithful of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Suffering also requires patience, and it serves future Christians. Listen carefully to this one. Suffering requires patience, and it serves future Christians. Same passage, Hebrews 11, and now verse 39. It says, All of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. In other words, as these ones lived and walked by faith, looking to this future glory, as they looked ahead to how God would reward them and care for them, they didn't get what was promised to them. But the result of that was you and I eventually hearing the gospel and joining them. In other words, the suffering and the labors of this generation of servants serves the purpose of helping yet another generation of Christians. They're going to want to know. Did you walk by faith? Did you trust the Lord Jesus through hardship and trial? Did you walk with Him? Were you led by Him? That's what it's speaking about there in this passage in Hebrews 11. Suffering is not done alone. It's not alone. So in chapter 12 and verse 1 of Hebrews, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Suffering is not alone. There are other Christians who are running the, the race of faith with us. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. That is those who have gone before. Those who have lived by faith before us. The last generation. Two generations. Ten generations. They lived by faith. They served the Lord. They walked with the Lord. They endured these sufferings. So let us lay aside every weight in the sin which ensnares, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Not having what we long for is what's spoken of here in Romans 8 what is spoken of in Hebrews 11. Not having what we long for glory is to be revealed in the sons of God. look at verses 22 and 23 so Romans 8:22. He says, We know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. There is this day, there is this moment in history that is in the future of the Christian that looks ahead. We groan, we labor, we wait for it so verse 24 says we were saved in this hope when you heard the gospel when you turned from your sin when you put your faith in Christ you believed in this offer of eternal life you believed in this day when the Lord returns to bring his people home to himself we were saved in this hope hope that is seen isn't hope we don't experience it now. We don't have it now. It's not, it's not hope if you have it now. It, the Christian gospel is about our hope in this future event, this future glory. And heirs finally don't shrink from suffering. That's what this part of Romans teaches. Heirs joint heirs with Christ, they don't shrink from suffering. Look at he, uh, Romans 8:25. says, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance, we persevere in our believing. we persevere in our hoping. We persevere in our suffering, if we must. Likewise also, listen to what he says the Spirit helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So sometimes we don't know what to pray for. We don't know how to pray to find the answer. We don't know how to pray to solve the problem. We're to pray in our ignorance Ask God's help. Ask His intercession. Ask for His power. And then when it finally says, I just want to make sure you notice this. The Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. It literally means that the word groanings, you and I understand, we all, all of us groan from time to time, but it doesn't mean that the Spirit prays in a special praying groan because the, the next phrase in, in the verse says, which cannot be uttered, literally means cannot be articulated. It, 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 it's a muteness. Two other times this word is used in the New Testament, Mark 9.17 and Mark uh, 9.25. Um, that word is used in front of the word spirit, so cannot be uttered, Spirit, I command you come out. Or let me read it to you the way it is in Mark. Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you come out. This word cannot be uttered literally means it doesn't speak. The other two places New Testament use the word mute. So this, the mute spirit sounds like what? That's right. We hear nothing. The mute spirit is silent. So this is an admonition and it is a reminder that the, the, the praying, the interceding prayer on the part of the Spirit, the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You might be groaning, you might just be saying, Oh, Lord, Lord. You might not know what to pray. You, you don't even have any more perseverance. You don't have the intelligence. You don't have the solution. You don't know what to do. You bring these things to the Lord in prayer. And the Spirit intercedes for us as we wait and as we persevere. Verse 27 goes on to say, He who searches the hearts, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So this one who intercedes, this one who knows the inner workings of your own heart intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Christian life is is based on this future. Christian life is learning and being reminded to set its eyes on this future reality and on believing of the Spirit's help for us who are who are weak, who aren't smart enough, who don't know what to pray for, who don't know what to do at times. He expects us to persevere in our being led, persevere in our walking with the Lord. In verse... Eighteen speaks about I keep jumping to chapter 9 I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us if and when you suffer because of what you've been witnessing about the Lord or sometimes you're your course in life is a path that will cause people to criticize you because of your faith in the Lord. When when you do this, these sufferings are to be endured, realizing there is a future glory. Remember, there is a future glory when the things that are not seen will finally be made seen. Remember that; it's an important truth there in verse eighteen remember also that the Spirit intercedes. He intercedes. It says for us in your New King James and in your King James. The other Bibles don't say that. I don't know if it's just you think it's a given or not, but I really appreciate the fact that the New King James and the And the King James says that He intercedes for us. It's a very specific and definite um, way of saying that God's Spirit is praying, is working, is hearing for us. That is the heirs. The heirs with Christ. Now just one thought in closing John chapter 17 is a long prayer. It's one of the last prayers in the the New Testament for Christ's disciples. John 17, sometimes they call it the, the high priestly prayer. It is the Lord Jesus interceding for the disciples. And one of the statements that he makes in there is sanctify them in the truth he's praying to God the father sanctify them in the truth the thems you believers heirs sanctify them in the truth thy word is truth in other words the lord has left this word and in his prayers he's preparing to go to the cross He asks God the Father in heaven to set you, the Christian, apart for his purposes, for his protection, for his works. I'm sorry, that's John. Is it John 17, 17? I didn't even tell you the reference. Yeah, 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth, thy word is truth. Remember that word sanctify means set them apart. The sons are set apart. The daughters are set apart. you are put on their course. You're led in your way. And as the Lord Jesus is praying to God the Father, He's saying, God, set them apart. In other words, put them where they're supposed to be. Lead them by Your Word. Your Word is truth. The truth is Your Word. Set them apart. Keep them. Provide for them. Encourage them. So, they walk by faith. They live by faith. They're comforted. They're strengthened. They're encouraged by the Spirit through the Word of God. I hope that you will recognize some of these warnings to take suffering as sons and daughters of the Lord. Be willing to suffer in the Lord if, if He puts opportunities in our in our paths to witness and, and we're afraid. We we feel a, a pang of shame, we we feel a, a hesitancy. Just be willing to open your mouth and love and remember you're opening blind eyes, you are putting sound into deaf ears, you're you're calling people out of darkness You're calling people away from Satan. Let the Lord use and lead us. Let's just take a moment and pray.